Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and the smell of fresh manna. Today you'll be listening to Stephen Conway, pastor of the Troy Seventh-day Adventist Church. And now here's Pastor Stephen. Good morning. Yes, yes, happy Sabbath to you. Let us bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Loving Father, we are grateful for the privilege to be alive and to be here in this place because your presence is here. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds. And I understand it's already been asked before, but I ask again only because of our soul's deep need. We pray, Father, that as we spend time in your word, that you would truly speak to us. We thank you in advance for hearing and answering our request in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been talking together about mission. And in our conversation on mission, we are using a very unique individual, a man by the name of Abram, whose name would later be changed to Abraham. And we have been looking over this man's life to see what lessons we can learn about mission. Now, how many of you are excited about mission? Let me see your hands. Okay, about five of you are excited about mission. Uh, how many of you believe that we should all be involved, engaged in mission? Let me see your hands. Yes, yes. One of my favorite writers says something like this. Every person that is born into the kingdom of God is born as a missionary. Think about that. Every person that is born into the kingdom of God takes their first breath, as it were, spiritually speaking, as a missionary. I want to suggest to you today, as I've suggested before, that we have much to learn about being missionaries. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis, the 12th chapter. We're going to look at two particular portions of Scripture today. See about our dear brother Abram and his missionary endeavors. Genesis, the 12th chapter. And we will begin reading with verse 10. 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. And the Bible says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Never mind what happens to you. That's not what he said, but that's what we can infer. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. I just want to interject here for a second, just in case you're not able to follow along with the story. Abram and Sarai lie about her identity and the relationship that they share as husband and wife. They only give a portion of the truth. She is taken into Pharaoh's house. He gets paid. Oh, I need you to say that with me today. He gets what now, beloved? He gets paid big time. Cattle and servants. And he never says a mumbling word. Not once does he wake up in the morning and say, this is not right. That is my wife. I've got to go get her. Ladies, wouldn't you want a husband like that? God has to intervene. My daughter and I were talking about this this week. God has to intervene in order to save their marriage. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house, verse 17, with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and get out. That's not what the Bible says, but that's just my translation. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20 now, beginning with verse 1. Some people say 
experience is a good teacher. Have you heard that before? Apparently, this brother wasn't listening. Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. And Abraham, his name has been changed now, and Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. I must interject again. Abraham, for the second time, gets paid. And at no point in this narrative does he decide, this is my wife. I can't allow this to happen. There's no telling what he will do to her. I'm going to burst in there and say, no. That's not how the story goes. Again, verse 3, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous, what type of nation, beloved? Will you slay a righteous nation also? Didn't he say to me, she is my sister? And she's not innocent. She herself said, he is my brother. In the, what does the next word say? In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife. For he is a prophet. He will pray for you. Wait a minute. How many of you want somebody praying for you who's just deceived you? Just lied to you. Come on, lay hands on me and just ask the Lord because it's the prayers of a righteous God said, give him his wife back. If you don't, you'll die. And everyone in your household. So Abimelech rose up early in the morning, called his servants, told them all these things in their hearing. The men were afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How did I offend you? that you have brought on me and on my kingdom this great sin. You have done things to me that ought not to be done. What did you have in view that you have done this thing? Verse 10, Abraham said, and he gives us insight into why he's carrying on in his mission endeavors the way he is. And Abraham said, what do the next words say? Come on, come on. Because I thought, surely I thought, the fear of God is not in this place. 
and they will kill me on account of my wife. He goes on to make excuses about why he has done what he has done. But that's our key point there. Because I thought. Apparently, Abraham has a problem in terms of what he thinks about those that God has given him a mission to reach. Abraham surrendered his address, his family, even his direction. And you would think someone who surrendered on this level is ready for mission. But Abraham had yet to let go of something that was much deeper. I think there's a lesson or several in here for us. One lesson is God is in the business of using imperfect people to accomplish his mission. Oh, yes, we ought to say amen, because Lord knows we're not there. We, too, have a problem concerning what we think of those that God has called us to mission for. What is it that Abraham was yet to surrender? He was yet to let go of his preconceived ideas about people. He was yet to let go of his preconceived ideas about people. His actions and decisions about the people and his community were based on things that he believed that simply were not true. Did you see it? In Genesis chapter 20, when Abimelech speaks to God, what does he say about himself? We are a righteous nation. We're not going to delve into all of that, but simply put, it means when we know what is right, we try to live by it. He goes on to call himself a person of integrity. And God, listen to me, friends, he affirms him. Yes, I know in the integrity of your heart you have done this. Both Pharaoh and Abimelech pose bone-rattling questions to Abraham. Why have you done this? Why have you treated us this way? You have done things that ought not to be done. And listen to me, friends. Ultimately, both men say, move on, brother. You are no longer welcome in the close proximity that we had shared together. I want to give you one thing that Abraham could have done to be a better missionary, and I believe it's something that is imperative for each one of us to become better missionaries. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13 says, 
If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Let me read that again. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. In the New Testament, the scripture tells us that every one of us, the Apostle Peter says this, should be ready with meekness and fear to give an answer to him that asketh for the reason that lies within us. Scripture tells us, however, that before we answer, we must hear. We must do what, beloved? Let me translate that. We must listen. Now, we are Seventh-day Adventist Christians, and we've got lots of answers. We've got answers to questions you haven't even thought about asking. You don't even know you need the answers that we have for you. But when you come to the knowledge, before you know that you need the answers, we will give you the answers. We are not as good at listening as we are at giving answers. And so our answers tend to fall on deaf ears. Our answers are irrelevant. Our answers fly over men, women, and children's heads. Our answers can come across as belittling simply because we have neglected to listen. I would go so far as to submit to you, my dear friends, that you and I can surrender what we think about ourselves and others by actually listening. Please get what I said. We can surrender what we think about others and ourselves by listening. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most of us have prayed, Lord, please take away my negative thoughts, my incorrect thoughts about others. And we have surrendered on that wise. I am saying these things ought ye to have done, but not to have neglected the weightier matters. What are the weightier matters in this context? The weightier matters would be to listen. Daryl Davis is a jazz musician and he was playing in a location as is his occupation. And after he finished playing, he was approached by one of the patrons who was enamored with his piano playing. And he said, man, I've never heard a black man play the piano like Jerry Lee Lewis the way you did. Daryl happened to know Jerry Lee Lewis, and he said, well, 
That's interesting. I know Jerry Lee Lewis, and he learned to play the piano from black people. And the individual said, no, 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 that can't be true. Daryl went on to say, but how is it that you've never heard a black person play the piano the way I did tonight? By this time, Daryl and the gentleman are at the table with the gentleman and his friend. The gentleman and his friend glance at one another in their silence. You know that silence when people have given each other the look and you feel like you're a third wheel and you don't know what's going on. Daryl says, well, what is it? And his friend nudges him. The man still doesn't say anything. And his friend speaks for him and says, it's because he's a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And Daryl laughs. You get it, right? I'm at the table talking with a guy who's a member of the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> no, this, this is a joke, right? And so the gentleman pulls out his wallet because apparently the Ku Klux Klan have membership cards. He pulls out his wallet and shows him his membership card. He is, in fact, a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And so an interesting thing happens that night. A friendship. What did I say, beloved? A friendship develops between Daryl and this man. Daryl had experienced racism at 10 years old. He was a Boy Scout. He was the only black in his scout troop. And as they were marching in a parade and he was carrying the flags, he began to be hit with bottles and small stones and different things like that. And he didn't know what was going on. His instructor shielded him. And later when he got home, his parents told him why he was being treated this way. And Daryl formulated a question in his mind. And this is the question he formulated, my friends. How can you hate me when you don't even know me? How can you hate me when you don't even know me? Well, some weeks and months go by. Daryl is moved that he's going to write a book. The name of the book he would write is entitled Clandestine. And so he hadn't written it yet, but he goes to the home of this individual who he meets, who he met in that venue, and he knocks on the door and his friend opens the door. By the way, his friend told him, he had given him his phone number and said, call me whenever you're in town. So Daryl, after performing on numerous occasions, had come into town and this man would bring his friends and they would listen to Daryl play the piano together. And again, as we suggested, a friendship develops. Daryl shows up at the man's home. He opens the door. Daryl, what are you doing here? Are you in town? He said, no, no, no. I'm getting ready to write a book and I need something from you. And he says, well, what do you need? He says, I need your clan outfit. He says, you need my what? I need your clan, you know, the sheet, the mask, everything. I need that. And he's like, well, I'm not a member of the Klan anymore. Now, this is what was fascinating to me about this. Listen to this, beloved. Right now, today, Daryl 
has helped over 200 people to leave the Klan. Here's what he says. I never set out to convince anyone to leave. Think about that. How can, listen to this, how can you successfully get someone, that's what we're talking about, to change their minds when it is not your goal to get them to change their minds? This individual tells Daryl, listen, you know, actually I had to give everything back or the majority except for the hood because my outfit was on a payment plan. Daryl is like, what? What? Yeah. So, you know, apparently in the Ku Klux Klan, if you can't afford to buy your outfit outright, they allow you to make payments on it like layaway. And so he said that he had given the larger portion of his robe back and all he had was you know, the hood portion. And so he said, listen, if you want the entire thing, then, you know, it's in the hands of the Grand Dragon. Now, I know you all aren't familiar with what the Grand Dragon is, but the Grand Dragon is the highest position in a particular state for the Ku Klux Klan. So this person is over every member that's in the state. So Daryl Davis, a black man, Did I say that already? No, I didn't say that. A black man, he says, listen, give me his address. And his friend says, no. Give me his address. No, you cannot show. This man will kill you. They go back and forth. Long story short, Daryl ends up having his secretary to set up an interview in a hotel room. It's a fascinating story. Daryl meets the Grand Dragon and his bodyguard. He's armed. And uh, funny thing, then I'm going to move off this story because I can stay on it. But as the Grand Dragon and his bodyguard come into the room, they've not seen Daryl. They don't know who he is. They walk into the room, and it's a black man sitting there in the room. Hi, guys. And they're looking around. Is this a setup? Is this a trap? What's going on? And Daryl has some soda pop. And he says, come on, have a seat. I'm jumping ahead a lot. A long story short, Daryl enters into a conversation with the Grand Dragon, who himself ends up giving up his position in the Klan. Not on that night, but he ends up leaving the Klan. Not only does he leave the Klan, but he breaks up the entire group in that area. The thing that fascinated me about Daryl Davis, listen to me, beloved, is what I said earlier. It was not his intent to change people or to make them stop being members of the Klan. He merely wanted to converse with them and listen to them. And through listening to them, something profound happened. And in this case, it is that these individuals ended up giving up their previously held beliefs. 
I want to suggest something to you, my dear friends. In God's mission, the end is not the decision, but rather the individual. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? The end is not a person making a decision. Yippee! But in God's mind, the end is the person himself or herself. And so more than merely focusing on all that we can do to help a person to make a decision, and I'm not belittling that, but I believe there must first come from each and every one of our hearts a love for those individuals. When we love and respect people, we will listen to them. Let me ask you, my dear friends. First, let me help you to see that, you know, this is just how important this is. Do you know that in the United Kingdom and in Japan, they have ministries or in the UK, it's called a ministry of loneliness. Did you hear what I just said? So we have, you know, a secretary of transportation, a secretary of agriculture, secretary of blah, blah, blah. In the UK, they call them ministers. And in our country, we would call it the secretary of loneliness. An entire government department that gives itself to addressing the issue of loneliness. What do these millions of individuals need, my dear friends? They need somebody to knock on their door and give them a track. I would submit to you that what they need is they need someone To listen to them. They need relationships because that's the opposite of loneliness, right? One is lonely when he or she lacks relationships, valuable relationships where they can hear and be heard. I believe that God's missionaries are perhaps ministers of loneliness sent about to knock on the doors of men, women, boys and girls or build friendships with others and lend an ear. I don't know about you and I can't find a Bible text for this. Some of you might be mad at me for that, but you know, I don't believe that there is anyone who is as good a listener as God is. Actually, maybe I do have some text. It was Jonah, while in the belly of this great fish, who prayed and said, God, you have heard me from your temple. You see, God can hear us when we've gotten ourselves into some serious junk. When we're ashamed to tell everyone else that The reason I'm here is because I've been running away from the will of God 
for my life, Scripture says that God hears us even when we're there. Some of you may have heard of Hezekiah's son, one of the wickedest kings that ever lived. Fifty, over 50 years he reigned, and the Bible says when he was a prisoner in Babylon, after having killed Isaiah, the prophet of God, in his, in his jail cell, as it were, he cried out to God. And God heard him. He heard him. What if we are called to be missionaries so that we can do away with this thing called loneliness? There was a missionary in the country of Japan. We saw a little bit about that in the Mission 360 video. And this missionary was attending a meeting and one of the language instructors who happened to be a Christian was trying to express to all of those who were there the key to being able to significantly impact for Christ those in Japan. So he took a glass of water just like this, and he poured it. And he said, the Japanese are like this full cup. Their lives are very busy and full. He said, we've got to be careful pouring on the truth. As important, great, and glorious as it is, if you pour water into a cup that's already full, where will that water go? Sometimes in our zealousness to share the good news, we overdo it and we just pour it on. And then those opportunities, the water, as it were, is wasted because people's cups are already full. I would suggest to you that people's cups in our context are also full. They are full of grief, full of anxiety, full of discouragement, full of disappointment. Then he did something. He said, when we listen, when we allow people to pour themselves into us, it has the effect of making room in their busy lives. So that now there is space for you and I to share and pour into them. Beloved, I believe that you and I, and I don't know, Maybe the Lord wanted me to be a living example today. I believe you and I, we need to drink. We need to have relationships with men and women, boys and girls, where we allow them to pour themselves into us, making room in their own hearts 
for that which God has placed on our hearts to share with them. You have, I know you do, and I must tell you, I'm upset. I'm upset. I'm upset because I'm a lover of people. And I love drinking in the experiences of others. I was sitting in Brother Vladimir's Sabbath school class this morning. And man, I just, as he was sharing a portion of his own life story, you know, I just imagined him skating around on the ice with those tight leotards Performing a triple axle, you know, and I'm like, wow, now he's literally here teaching the Bible. It made me listen. It made me thirsty to hear more of his story. As I am thirsty to hear more of your stories. And all of the experiences that God has brought you through and is still bringing you through. I believe, my dear friends, that as eager as you and I, as much of a desire as we have to hear from God, that God wants us to have that same desire to hear from others, to drink, or to listen. And then when we open our mouths to speak, what we share will have a profound or it will make a profound difference. I remember I was seated in the Jiri Mountains in South Korea and I was having tea. Beautiful. It was August. And if you've been in that part of the world, it is rainy season, and there is a living green that touches everything. I was sitting there having tea with a gentleman by the name of Daniel and just drinking, not only the tea, but drinking in his story and his experiences. He shared with me that as a Buddhist, he had been living a lifestyle that in that religious persuasion, would never allow him to be able to have children. He was the owner of several grocery stores in southern South Korea, a little place called Hadong, and he was very wealthy, and he had lived an immoral life. He had paid for 19 women to have abortions because of his relations with them. And so now he was married and he's trying to change. But in the Buddhist way, you can't just leave your old life behind. You must ultimately pay for your sins. I was preaching an evangelistic campaign and I was meeting with Daniel every day. And after listening to that story, I went back home to the place we were staying and I got on my knees and I prayed and I said, Lord, Forgive this man. Lord, answer 
his heart's cry. I remember we prayed together and I told him, you know, in a moment of bold and courageous faith, you know, you sometimes you just speak and you're like, okay, Lord, please, please do what I said that you could do. I don't know if it was your will or all of that other stuff, right? But Lord, please. I told him, Daniel, that was his English name, Daniel, God is going to give you a child because this is the God of the Bible. He is a prayer answering God, not because we deserve it. And make it clear, my brother, you don't deserve it. But because he is good. Even when we are not, he is good. I left and came back home and my good friend, Shin Myung Chung, he called me up and he said, Steve, he said, man, you'll never guess who reached out to me. I said, who? He said, remember Daniel from Hadong? I said, yeah, yeah, I remember Daniel. He said, man, he wanted me to tell you that he had a baby boy. And I said, wow, thank you, God, you came through for me. No, it wasn't actually God coming through for me. It was God coming through for Daniel. I knew how to pray for him because I listened. I listened. My brothers, my sisters, my appeal to you today, be thirsty. And then drink. Listen. You'll know how to pray for your children if you listen. You'll know how to pray for your husbands, your wives, your brothers, your sisters if you listen. You'll know how to pray for your parents if we listen. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Loving Father and our God, we have seen the terrible mistakes that Abraham made because he assumed things. Now, he assumed things about people that he really didn't know. And we may shake our heads and say, how foolish was he? But if we are honest today, we assume things about people that we actually do know. We live under the same roof. We are part of the same family. And so we are more confident in our assumptions. Lord, we pray today that you would forgive us for speaking more than we have listened. Help us, Lord. Help us to listen. The fact that there are two developed nations, so-called developed nations, that have entire ministries to look after and to study this thing called loneliness says that there are men and women, boys and girls in this world who just want someone to listen to them. Lord, perhaps our concept of mission has given us an idea that we have, as the old song says, a message to tell to the world. We have forgotten that before 
we give answers. The apostle Peter says that the people we're in relationship with must first ask the question. Lord, teach us that all that we're doing is good, but let us add to it this precious principle of listening or as our illustration says, drinking. Let us open ourselves up as you do, as you do, to let men, women, boys and girls pour themselves into us so that our prayers might be more educated and more fervent and so that they will have space to receive what you've placed in our hearts to give. Help us in this area is what I'm praying. If there's anyone who agrees with this prayer and says, Lord, I want to drink. I want to listen more than I speak. Help me. If that's your desire, just raise your hand in the air. Lord, help me to drink. Help me to listen to those you've placed in my sphere of influence. Father, you see our hands. You know our hearts. Help us to be more like you in this area. In the worthy name of Jesus, let all of God's people say, Amen. You've been listening to Stephen Conway, pastor of the Troy Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you've enjoyed his sermon, why not visit his church or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. The Troy Seventh-day Adventist Church is located at 2775 Crooks Road in Troy, Michigan, and their church service begins at 1045 a.m. This has been a Strong Tower Radio production.